I'm Natalie Jackson and this is Sea Sporty Be Sporty. It's season three and we are talking to some legends of English football, but maybe not the ones you've heard much from before. Why? Because it is a Euros summer and this year the women's Euros are in England. England 2022 is happening all across England from Milton Keynes to Rotherham and we are getting excited about it. This week, I am joined by director of Lewis Football Club, one of the top 20 women's clubs in England, and the first and only football club in the world to pay its women the same as its men. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome C Sporty B Sporty, Karen Dobre. Karen, hi. Woohoo! Hi, Natalie. How are you? <laughs> I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's very, that was a very nice intro. Thank you very much. <laughs> I think well deserved. Thank you so much for being with us today. Before we dig in, we need to play what is rapidly becoming my favourite game. It is a game I like to call 11 Things Everyone Should Know About Karen Dobre. Well, I've never played that particular game. <laughs> Great, let's go for it. I mean, no, nobody is any, no one, no, neither is anybody else, I should say. Um, so I have 11 questions for you. They are hopefully fairly straightforward. It is an either or situation. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, let's go. Cake or pie? Pie because too much sugar interferes with my sleep. So pie. Pie, good choice. Cats or dogs? Oh, dogs, although I currently have cats, but I just love dogs' energy so much and their kind of happiness and optimism, despite everything, sometimes. <laughs> oh, I love that. Dogs. Invisibility or super strength? Oh, um, super strength. Oh, I like it. At warm weather or cold weather? Oh, warm weather, Natalie. <laughs> oh my God, ask me that in, in February, March. I'm going to say warm weather, huh? Goodness. Love Actually or Bend It Like Beckham? Bend It Like Beckham. Hot chocolate or coffee? Hot chocolate, not too much sugar, if you please. Digital watch or analog watch? Uh, no watch, just use my phone. Ooh. Box sets or movies? Oh, now that is a really tricky one. I would have said movies, but now I think I'm going to say box sets. Singing or dancing? Dancing. Watching football or watching tennis? watching football <laughs> i suspected as much and last question cardio or weights um prefer cardio should do weights how's that <laughs> that is lovely they're all the questions they're all the answers we've learned we've learned an awful lot in the last minute you can relax though that's it that's that's all the that's all the hard questions <laughs> that was fun <laughs> So, um, I want to ask you to tell us all about Lewis Football Club. I should confess that I do actually know a bit about Lewis Football Club. I am, in fact, a part owner of Lewis Football Club, which sounds very grand. I have my, I have my Lewis Football Club Football with Purpose t-shirt on today. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been following your journey for the last probably three years now, um, just maybe the year before COVID. But... For somebody who is listening and doesn't know anything about Lewis Football Club or maybe doesn't know anything about football, tell us about Lewis and what's so special. 
Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, oh, where do I start? Lewis Football Club, as, as you've alluded to, Natalie, is 100% community owned. So anyone can buy a share in the club. Um, and that share gets you a vote as to who should be a director. And it also means you can stand to be a director, right? And you can stand to be elected to the board. Uh, but this only happened in 2010 because before that, Lewis Football Club was privately owned. And unfortunately, after the global crash, um, it was looking like it was going under. And so in 2009, six fans got together and, and saved the club by um, mutualizing it and uh, then paying off all its debts. And uh, at that point, shares in the club were 30 pounds each. They're now, over the years, they've gone up and they're now 50 pounds each. Best 50 pounds you've ever spent, I might say. Um, a fact. And um, yeah, they mutualized it. And suddenly, uh, if, you, if you like, the agenda of the club changed. So rather than trying to make any kind of profit for private shareholders, the club was now beholden to the community that owned it, which meant that the club wanted to create value for the community that owned it. And the mission became to use football as a vehicle for social change. So anything that we could do in football um, that would address some sort of societal issue that our owners were facing, we would do it. So it came to uh, 2016 and a couple of the uh, directors on board on the board said uh how come when our women's team are doing so well every time we set the budget we give more to our men's team like that doesn't really make sense and it was literally a question that they asked right and the reason they asked it is because they were thinking about uh creating value for people and for society so you have to you have to remember that when you think about our famous tagline the first club in the world to pay women the same as men it's because we're community owned that we do this. So then they said, okay, some people won't like it, some people will like it, but we'll stand for election for our next term on the basis that if you vote for us, we will bring in uh, equal valuing of the men and women, equal resources, equal pay, equal playing budgets, everything, same access to marketing, same strength and conditioning coaching, whatever it is, we will give the same to the men as the women and we will not discriminate. Uh, they got voted in. Do we need pause? Pause for some applause there. I feel <laughs> good. Guys, won. You were on yeah. the side of the angels, and um, basically, then we introduced in 2017. Uh, we called it a campaign called Equality FC, and said this is you know announced to the world that why would you uh, treat your daughter differently to your son? You know, like if the club was was a parent and we had a men's team and a women's team here why were we giving the men more than the women? That just wasn't fair. Um, so we, we, we introduced this and then of course, of course, because it was a massive change. I mean, goodness me, the first club in the world to do it, kind of brilliant, kind of shameful rest of the world, if you're listening. Um, so of course we attracted critics and the critics said, um, well, you know, if you shouldn't pay, the women don't deserve to get the same as the men because they don't get the same crowds which was a good point because why would you pay the women as much when they didn't get as many people to match days to watch the, the front of their shirts where the sponsor was? Do you know what I mean? Why would sponsors give us the money for that? So it was a very good point, but it wasn't that great a point because the thing that um, kind of tipped it off of its uh, wall 
was that, you, as you will probably know, Natalie, women were banned from playing football for 50 years in this country, and therefore there wasn't a level playing field, and therefore you cannot just judge them the same like that. <laughs> you yeah. have to start, you have to invest in them, see how it goes with the marketing and the resources, and then see what happens to those crowds. And so that's the first bit I'll say about Lewis Football Club. But what I'll, and 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 we'll say what happened to those crowds in a minute. But what you asked me, what's you know, tell you about Lewis Football Club? So it's community owned. It has this campa these campaigns going on, not just gender equality, but also the anti gamblification of football. We don't think yeah. that football should be associated with gambling because it's harming a lot of people. And we we've got various community sponsors that we sponsor with, such as the Big Steps, such as Carga. And some amazing stats, I, you know, I've seen through your website and perhaps through the app even as well, there's like an owner's app. And I've seen some statistics somewhere uh, around, you know, the number of children that are now accessing gambling and things like that. It's like, I had no idea until you guys were, were putting forward that social change. And I, I, yeah, it's definitely something to be getting behind because you have no concept of the amount of children and young people, never mind adults, that are gambling and, and gambling through football. So, yeah, brilliant. We just said we're, we're not going to wear um, a gambling sponsor's badge uh, across our shirts or across our across our hearts, you know, because that's where the sponsor goes. And we, we just have very, very strong principles that are to do with our uh, socially owned um, agenda. Uh, and we have these strong values and principles that there's a lot of things in football that do not treat people respectfully and do not and commercialize the game to the extent that people are treated like robots and just as fodder for a, for a court you know we, we won't do that we, we really believe football is about bringing people together entertainment enjoyment as a really good sporting attitude to be cultivated um, and having fun together we don't want to be associated with anyone that is basically causing suffering and that is most of the gambling companies that you see on other football clubs shirts um so yeah we do we do all these things and um what we've found is that football can actually affect so many issues of the pitch you know you've got racism you've got homophobia you've got all, all the isms and then you've got things that people you know don't don't even um think about too much that seem like the wallpaper of football really so they're not very much questioned but you know things like teaching women to, to football chant because we haven't learned when we were young because it was the boys that usually went to the matches with their dads to learn how to chant in order to make them feel welcome at football matches you know or it's about the kind of things that you have at football matches or the kind of things that you don't have do you have signs that say where you can breastfeed do you know what I mean or don't you in my experience no they do not <laughs> having definitely breastfed and changed nappies in football stadia you could that you could start a whole new podcast on that couldn't you <laughs> you could you could you really could you could visit ground and see you know was there a designated area and where was that area and how warm was that area and how smell free was that area you know because <laughs> a lot of them yeah. just say go to the toilet right but we don't our, in fact our first our men's team manager donates his office for breastfeeding for men's matches and women's matches so we have a very nice environment there but that's just you know that's just a by the by it's just that we um that gives you a flavor of our club and the other thing that I would say about our football club is that it's um there's this magical atmosphere that happens 
at both men's and women's matches. It's slightly different at women's matches to men's, but you know, at both, there's an amazing, there's amazing support for our teams and there's amazing respect for one another because we all own this club, Natalie. We all have a stake in it. You know, if we see a Mars bar wrapper on the floor, we're going to pick it up. If we see someone hurling abuse at the pitch, we're going to say, actually, we don't do that here. We're going to call it out. And so there's, you know, it's, it's a, such a, it's a, it's a, we want to be exemplary. And I think sometimes we just about achieve it. <laughs> I'd say you're doing a very good job of achieving it. Um, so I, I'm torn between asking you two questions and I'm going to ask them both at the same time because <laughs> I feel like they might be the same sort of answer. What, what was your experience of football as a child and how did you get involved with Lewis? Yeah, well, those, those two um, questions are intrinsically linked. Um, so I'm, as a, so the, okay, the ban on women playing football, which started in 1921, wasn't lifted until 1971. And I, I was born in 1967. So I was actually born in the ban, during the ban. And um, when I was at school, the girls simply weren't allowed to play football. Um, I was pushed towards uh, netball, really. I, I'm actually very tall. You can't tell in the podcast. I'm very tall. And I, I used to play netball. And um, the boys used to take up most of the playground most of the days, you know, playing football. And we didn't have much room as girls to move really that much. You know, it was hopscotch or it was netball in sports lessons, not just in playtime, you know. And that, so my, and then if I read papers or watched the TV, it was men playing football. It was always men's matches that were televised and sort of male heroes on the back pages of newspapers or naughty male footballers on the front pages of newspapers, right? But yeah. I never thought women even played football. I never knew that they did, right? That's how, uh, that's how it was for me um, for many, many years. And then I became an owner of Lewis FC back in 2010 when it went into community ownership, not because I liked football, but because I could see that they were trying to do something different. They, it's just a 15 minute walk for me, right, Natalie, to get to the drifting pan from where I live. And I could see that it was a good thing they were doing. And I wanted to uh, buy my share, you know, and, um, and support it. But I never thought I'd really go to a football match. And I honestly thought it was just men that played there. I didn't know that women played there. Uh, in 2017, when I heard about the Equality Initiative and heard that it was the first club in the world to uh, have closed the gender pay gap, if you like, I was interested, you know, because this was phenomenal, really. Why was Lewis FC uh, doing this unique thing that nobody else in the world was doing? I was like, what's going on down the road, you know? So I, I, I took it upon myself to go to a women's football match and watch them play. I went by myself and um, uh, there are about 100 people there, you know, not, not many. This is 2017. And um, I thought I, I enjoyed it. I didn't know the rules, but I, I enjoyed watching the game. And I got chatting to a man next to me and a woman on the other side, just just casually had a cup of tea from the stand, you know, from the hatch, actually. And um, at the time in my, at that point in my life, I was seeing women in public spaces um, being very decorative and perform, performing, performing femininity, if you like, like uh, pop videos. And um, even like my, you know, my daughter and her friends at that point were, 
you know, I talked to them at home and they were very, they're very intelligent and have really quite, you know, intense conversations with them and dialogue and debate. Then on their Instagram accounts, they were just sort of in nightclub toilets posing around in front of mirrors, right? I was thinking, are these the same girls? What's happened to feminism, you know? Anyway, yeah. when I went to the dripping pan that day and saw these women aged between about 18 and 30, 34, playing football and saw them focused on the ball, wanting to win, uh, using their bodies powerfully and, you know, being strong and all, and, te- and working as a team, all in a public arena, I just, some, just a penny dropped in my mind and I thought, I have been lacking this. This has not been part of my world. It's not part of my daughter's world or her friend's worlds. And why? Why, have, why didn't we know about this? And I felt, I felt angry as well as happy, right, at the same time, because I thought this is, this is the antidote to the rubbish way that women seem to be depicted. This is the antidote. But I also thought this has been going on for ages and these women don't have support. You know, I'm here today. I've got to come every week. I thought, you know, I've got to bring my friends. I've got to <laughs> they need me. Yeah, yeah I, can, well, I we, totally we need, get that. We need each other. We need each yeah. other. Yeah. The world needs women's football and women's footballers, women footballers need to be valued. And, you know, it changed something in my heart that day and in my mind. And if it could do that to me just then, then what could it do for other people, right? So I, yeah, that's how I got, oh, so anyway, so I did that and then I thought, okay, what can I do to help? And the critics were saying, well, you don't get, they don't get the crowds. So I, vol- listen, Lewis FC has over a hundred volunteers, right? So I became one of those volunteers and I volunteered to go and tell women's groups, women who didn't like football, who, who thought they didn't like football, to come in solidarity with the cause. So I just started, I literally made a list of all the women's groups in Lewis or Brighton, you know, nearby where we live and um, asked if I could <laughs> come and tell them about what Lewis FC were doing, uh, you know, and show them brilliant video that, that we had produced and um, uh, invite them to a match. <laughs> Even if they didn't like football, just give it a try. Um, because, you know, if we get those gate figures up, we'll have answered the critics who are saying that we don't deserve to be paid the same because the men get bigger crowds. And, you know, this was lucky because it was coming up to the centenary of suffrage and people were thinking a lot about women's spaces and women's, um, the value of women in society and stereotyping and how to you know, how, how, how women could activate and how they could reclaim uh, spaces that they were no longer allowed in. So yeah, it, was, it all kind of worked very well. When you went to those groups, Karen, what did you, because I'm, I'm super interested in the idea that actually your experience wasn't dissimilar to my experience growing up. Um, I think there are other people perhaps of my age who had different experiences, but when I grew up, I didn't know any girls who played football. I didn't know that girls could play football. Um, It just didn't cross my mind. I went to university shortly after Bend It Like Beckham came out. um, I went to university and joined the first team that I'd ever played for. I think we'd had one tournament at school maybe when I was about 13 or something. But beyond that, you know, there was no ongoing anything. 
Um, and I, I went and played and it blew my mind. And I, lo- I was just so grateful to be allowed to play. Um, but actually, I think, you know, so many women have missed out on that and maybe don't even know that they've missed out on that because they haven't actually come to it yet. So when you went to those, those women's groups and said, so football, what, what was the reaction from them? Well, say there was a room of about 40 people, let's say, for example, at a women's institute meeting in a hall in the middle of Sussex somewhere, you know, like they do. And I'd got myself in there and uh, I was chatting to them. I'd start by saying anyone here like football. And out of those 40 women, maybe three hands would go up. And then I'd say anyone here been to a football match? Uh, No, watched a football match. And most of them will have watched it on the telly. And then I'd say anyone been to a live football match? And a few more hands would go up. And I say, anyone been to a women's football match? No hands would go up. So in a way I was, what I was doing was making them curious about what would a women's football match be like. And then I was telling them, I was sort of trying to bribe them to come by saying, which is true that we've got Prosecco on tap, that we've got vegan pies, that we, as well as meat pies, you know. Oh, lovely. Got, I'm, I'm all for both of those options. And I, I'm kind of, kind of just bribing them, basically. I'd say we've got drummers, we've got... A ba- At women's matches, we, did, we, did, we don't always now, but we did have drummers. And now we have like a band made of the men's veterans team. They bring their brass instruments. And we have a lot. We have so much fun, honestly. Um, and we get the chants going and things like that. So I tell them all of that. But the main thing that would get them to come, I would describe, um, you know, the 50 year ban and how it happened. And that basically the FA said, because, you know, when when the men went to war back in the First World War to fight for our country, the women were making munitions and making parachutes in factories. Before you knew it, they were kicking a ball around in the factory yard. Factory was playing factory. Women's football, after being ridiculed, became very popular and they were getting crowds in their tens of thousands. Men come back from the war, governments trying to re-establish the gender norms that happened before the war in order to, I suppose, just make more children. And um, the men couldn't get their numbers up at matches. And yet the women were getting all these people at matches and they were also collecting for striking minors families. So that's another reason why the government weren't so keen for women's football matches to carry on. but the reason that, that they actually gave to ban women's football in 1921 in a 15-minute meeting by the FA was that they thought that women's wombs might fall out. You know, they thought gynecologically it was really bad for women to play football. And they got a doctor to say this. And uh, they decided to ban women from uh, FA pitches or playing with affiliated FA affiliated coaches, effectively squashing the game for 50 years. The men had a monopoly on football. Um, during those 50 years, broadcasting rights came into being, and that, that's where all the money is in football. Uh, any woman wanting to play would have been seen as slightly weird, strange, wouldn't necessarily have had girls to play with, would have had to play with boys. And um, yeah, basically this kind of thing, finding out about that kind of thing would make women cross when I told them, because they, they didn't know this sort of secret history of women's football. And when I said, you know, Lewis F's, most most football most women's football teams have to pay to play. Most women footballers, like echoing something you just said, Natalie, were grateful at that point to be allowed to play football. If they got a kit thrown in, wow, amazing. Whereas, you know, men would have all the sponsorships in the world, driving around in Mercedes-Benz. You know, I might be exaggerating, but I'm not really exaggerating. And, you know, the, the the vast gender-based disparity 
caused by that 50 years ban is enough to make anyone angry and they would get angry. And then I'd say, you know, and Lewis FC is doing this amazing thing, but if we don't get those gates up, people will say that we're wrong to be um, promoting gender equality in football. But is it really that women can't play football? Is that true? Is it really that it's a boring game to watch? Is it really that no one will come and watch it and it doesn't deserve the money? And then I'd say to them how I felt about watching women's football and my personal journey with it. And I was really quite fed up with people telling me that women, you know, women's football is boring and all the sort of laughs I got when I told people that I was going to, men in particular, going to watch women's football. It, it kind of irked me because I, I'm, I do quite like men's football now and I particularly like Lewis FC men, but I still prefer watching women's football because I can relate to it, Natalie. Yeah. I can feel myself when I watch the players. And so it, it, it was like so dismissive and patronising to say to me, you know, no one, no one, no one likes it boring or just laugh in the face of women's football me off no end me off that even the women footballers that I spoke to were saying yeah we're lucky you know we were lucky that we didn't get uh, disbanded or we're lucky that the funding wasn't withdrawn from this club or you know yeah we you know we we, we just have to pick up chicken this other place before we could actually play on that pitch and I'm thinking if you were men this just wouldn't have happened. And we've all been so conditioned to just yeah. like accept these crumbs from the men's table. And there's just something so wrong about that. Uh, so anyway, so that's the sort of thing I was saying to these women. And I was having fun as well. I wasn't just getting too dark and deep. I was also like teaching them to chant and things, which was funny. <laughs> and then, uh, then they'd all come, yeah, they'd all come to a football match. I love that. And I think that is, I think, you know, to the same level, it's what we do in the work that we do in schools. You know, when you, when we talk to 10-year-old girls, they don't know that women were banned from playing football. They just know that when they go out in the playground, the playground's full of boys playing football. And if they're 10 and thinking, I want to play football, they're eight years behind in terms of training years because these, these boys have been to, and maybe not all of them, but people have given them a ball at two. People have taken them to a, a you know, a football class. Um this is, you know, we, we can't be giving girls a ball at 10 and expecting them to play with boys who, or play with any children who've been training a, a game for eight years. It's crazy. But actually that thing, that thing about being grateful, that thing about, you know, the crumbs from the table, actually their reality is the same as mine. You know, actually when you have grown up, not believing you can do something, it is amazing to go, oh, this is amazing. I can play. I can be you know, I can be, when I was at university, we played for, we had a college system, we had a, a university system, and we were the only sport where you could play for the college and the university because they were trying to grow women's football. And But I remember going to sports awards, university sports awards, and friends who were on other sports teams for the university, that, you know, we, to an extent, we were a, a joke team. It was like, oh, well, you guys, you know, we need to, we need to look after you lot. Like, it, the, there was a definite, and it, so... The fact that actually this was created by a group of people sat in a room making a decision about what is and is not unsuitable for females boils my blood. So I, I think I can get, I can totally understand how people will, and particularly women who don't know they've been disadvantaged. Once you realise you have been, you need to do something about that because if you don't, actually, 
it doesn't get any better, does it? Well, you know, there are so many things that happen with women, isn't there, aren't there, or with any sort of marginalised group, but there's nothing you can do about them. Like, there's so many, uh, you know, we, at the time there was, it was hashtag Me Too was just coming up and hashtag gender gay, gender pay gap and all of those things. And it's, I, although we were all kind of sharing our experiences and finding common ground there and sort of organising, there wasn't a lot you could actually do to change the situation, you know? Yeah, I was saying to these women, if you come to a football match, a women's football match at the Dripping Pan, you will be counted at the gate and you will effectively be changing the situation for women. And if you change the situation for women in football, that will change how men see women, how boys and girls see women. Because there's no doubt that if you, if you don't, allow in, in the most popular sport in the world with 3.6 billion fans, right, mostly male around the world, if you don't give women the same fame and fortune as men on the football pitch, you are encouraging everyone, the women themselves, men and all the children to see women as inferior to men through that most popular sport. So I was telling them, you have a chance, we all have a chance to do something about this right now and prove concept for Lewis FC, because if we prove concept, it will influence other clubs. And, you know, and, and that's the idea, isn't it? And it, I mean, I, I know where it was headed pre-COVID. What I don't know is how it's going post-COVID. Where are we, where are we, we, I'm, I'm calling us we now. Where are we at with that? How are the gate receipts how what's going on where I know on the pitch performances have been great what's going on behind the scenes okay so pre-covid um in in a couple of seasons after after that July 2017 well first of all the women we we went to Wembley uh, and I was one of the people who went to Wembley to apply to be in the new championship league when they reorganized and professionalized the women's leagues. And we got into the championship, which is brilliant, which is for people that, that might not realize it's the second highest tier of English women's football. So it was, it's, it's elite, you know, footballers, which is brilliant. And um, after that, basically in two seasons, we quadrupled the crowd on the women's side bringing it to more or less in alignment with the men. So the men's average then was 610 and the women's came up to 586. Partly it has to be said because we were playing teams like Manchester United, right? So people yeah. like, what What the hell, Lewis v Manchester United today? Let's go down there. So um, we, we got our uh, gates more or less aligned, then COVID struck. And um, what, is, what we've seen, and I think it's been noted across uh, various sports where there's men and women involved is that our men's um, audience is a very loyal long-standing audience and came back and the crowds are actually Lewis FC men are doing brilliantly and, and it does seem to depend on how well they're doing as well so they're getting crowds of regularly about 700 800 down to the dripping pan and whereas with our women um, it's been a, it's been more it's been it's been very interesting actually because the market was fragile in the first place and although they were coming back to matches it hadn't been established as a habit yet you know like it has with boys and men for their whole life they go to watch the football it's what they do on a Saturday with the women coming on a Sunday and the families that were coming um they I think they got out of the habit over Covid so we, we we're getting crowds of 500 um we're working our way up 
but um, we haven't quite, because it's a more fragile market, we haven't quite re-established those pre-COVID crowds. I have no doubt that we will actually, but um, yeah, it's interesting. It's taking time, but we will do. And I think we are still all at that stage where, do you know, if you've got children or if you've got hobbies or activities or things that they were doing or you were doing before COVID, people are maybe only now just getting back into doing things regularly. So yeah, I, I think as well, it, it will be a matter of time. I think I hear such good things about what you you're doing that it you know it will be just be a matter of time what I was, I was just just going to say because with the women's audience we tend to get families and uh much much more than a, a men's match so the men often just have to bring themselves but you know a women's match it's a little bit more arranging because people are bringing their families and the friends and da -da -da. logistics so, yeah. yeah it's logistics a bit as well but I'm sure we'll get there yeah thank you Definitely. I want to talk about the FA Cup prize money because I know this is one of the campaigns that that you're. Um, I want to say that you're behind, but you're it's sort of integral within the the campaign. It, it's around the prize money for the FA Cup, and I think I've seen some pictures on your website and places of banners um, about this and just spreading the word because I think so many people don't know this. Much like the band, so many people don't know that actually the total prize pot for the men's FA Cup. And the total prize pot for the women's FA Cup, I think the women's is something like 1.8% of the men's total prize pot. And um, the the statistics for the, what the winners um, get in, in prize money is it's something like £25,000 for the, the women's winners, as opposed to £1.8 for the men's winners. Why is it important to, to equal that out? And why isn't it a case of, well, the men earn the money, so they get the money? Because we need to invest in the women's game and we need to fund it if we really mean it about, you know, uh, girls playing football, women playing football and football being for all. And the, the quickest way to do it, the most transformative way to do it is through these prize pots. At the moment, if you look at the men's prize, of, as you rightly say, 1.8 million, the, the, the clubs that will win that are going to be the top premiership clubs, right? listen it's a drop in the ocean for them to win that kind of prize money whereas for any of the women's teams who might win it and the money goes to them it'd be absolutely transformative for women's clubs to get that kind of money at the moment um women club women teams are often paying in order to continue playing in the rounds of the fa cup right because they have to take you have to get coaches you have to get hotels um to travel and it's just not you do it because it's a dream, you know, it's a dream to get to, to, to um, play in the FA Cup. But uh, there are clubs that you've probably heard of, like Clapton, who are actually, you know, having to crowdfund in order to continue their run. And um, on the men's side, at the top, you, you no such problem, easy peasy. And really, the vast difference is just, it's untenable. And it's really is such a quick way to create some kind of justice in the system. It, it just doesn't make sense the way it is at the moment. It doesn't even make sense for men's teams in the lower leagues at the moment. So we've configured a whole way that the FA can refigure 
uh, how they give out the prizes at the different rounds of the FA Cup. And it, we've actually created a, a page on our website about it, but I don't think it's ready for about a week or so. Maybe by the time this podcast out, you could podcast yeah, we'll be. Out, have a good look at that. But yeah, all through the years since then, since 2017-18, we've been campaigning for equal prize money in the FA Cup. And we don't we don't just want a little bit more, really. We want it to be equal. Because Why? Because we want to be able to dream and imagine an equal world, not one that's still pre-equality and not one that's still just giving us little bits, little increments. We just want it to be level. In a way, Natalie, if we're really honest, the Women's FA Cup prize fund should be higher than the men's, if, if you're talking about reparations, right? So yeah. we don't feel we're asking for too much to have equality in the prize fund. I completely agree. And having been director of a women's football club that got into the fourth round and we played Spurs, we went down, we went from Barnsley down to London. It's a massive expense, you know, logistical exercise and all the rest of it. And it's amazing to go and have that experience. But actually, there are clubs all over the country that financially it's an issue if you get, if you get too far because the prize money isn't it just isn't the same same um, situation. So, yeah, completely behind that. Exactly. And how can that be fair in sport to be almost half wishing that you don't win because you won't be able to afford to win? That's just that's just really? not what football or sport's about. Right. When there is so much money in football and in, you know, the, everything around it. And yeah, it, it really is. When we've got, you know, women's clubs having to fold because the finances aren't there to to support them. It, it, it just yeah, it can't possibly make sense. Um. Okay, um, I feel like I could talk to you all day, Karen, but I will not. Um, I wanted to ask a couple of last questions. One is, so you previously, have, Lord Lewis, have won a He for She Award, haven't you? For um, Those awards are given out to organisations and to people who are brilliant male allies in feminist sort of situations. And I wanted to ask about um, male advocacy. How important is male advocacy for feminism and for women's football? Absolutely huge. Absolutely of the utmost importance. Because the truth is that we, we live in a patriarchy, but football is like a, um, you know, a mini version of that. And what, like when I, when I joined the board, when I first joined the board, um, there was one other female director on the board and most of the other directors were men. Um, and there's no doubt that it's men who are making decisions in football and it's men who are involved in every sort of step of the way in football, every structure, every system, and who are just unconsciously making decisions that they, it's not, it's not like a big blame thing. It's just that they, they don't consider the things that don't affect them necessarily. So it's really important to have men in decision-making positions who will uh, think outside the box, think outside themselves and think about um, the way things affect other people who aren't men. Um, so male allyship is incredibly important. The people, the two directors who initially brought Equality FC to uh, Lewis Football Club were men. And, and um, there's no way that I could have sat on the board for the, for the almost three years that I have done without male allies because honestly sometimes it's really really um uncomfortable awkward difficult 
Um, and it's it's actually lovely at the moment. The feeling at board meetings at the moment is great because in the last election, we got uh, Sue Anstis, Lucy Mills from Barcelona, and um, the, the wonderful Sally Taplin, uh, who now sit on the board as well. And our CEO is female, Maggie Murphy. And those board meetings are really cool, actually. Anyone would love to be there. There's a nice balance now. Uh, so male allies are very important. And the other thing that we've done uh, is, of course, our Call Him Out campaign. And the reason you might have heard of it, the reason we've done this is because one of, we talked earlier about me going to women's groups. One thing I did after going to those women's groups was create a, a sisterships uh, of Lewis FC. And what that is, is, is a formalization of those groups so that they can meet each other at football matches. So under those sisterships is like East Sussex Fire Service, the police, Sussex Police, the Girls Network, um, Rise, the domestic abuse charity, Survivors Network, Brighton Women's Centre, uh, the Feminist Bookshop, you know, diff different groups that, that empower women and girls in some way or hope to or try to. And um, after the recent uh, horrible murders that we've have been quite high profile of, for, for example, Sarah Everard and Bieber Henry and Nicole Smallman, and then um, well, just all, all of these horrible cases, I, I noticed because I follow all of our sisterships on social media and they were all despairing really and saying, you know, how can the police tell us we've got to hail down a bus? How can, you know, we have to change what we wear in order not to yeah. be raped? How yeah. can, you know, all of this stuff, so, so the onus yeah. was on women and all these sisterships seem to be talking to each other. So these were women talking to women. And I thought, oh, this is crazy we're a football club we have a lot of men there we need to be talking to those men those men need to take this responsibility on because it doesn't matter what I wear how many buses I might try and hail down if some man wants to attack me they're going to attack me right so um that's you know to put it bluntly right so um we talked to our men's team who are amazing male allies this season and really uh, on board with the equality campaign. And uh, we devised Call Him Out. And they decided that they were gonna call out their own behavior in the changing room. So if um, one of them said a sexist comment or misogynistic comment or anything, they're gonna call him out. And they're gonna call themselves out because the truth of it is, you know, we're all so conditioned within this sort of uh, culture that we live in, this soup, that we don't always know that we're being misogynistic and we need that mirror we need someone to reflect it back at us and say hang on you know you saying I don't know you know look at the arse on that or so I don't know that's misogynistic it probably wouldn't be as obvious as that but you know what I mean and um so they committed to do that and they made public pledges to do that and what we've discovered is it's very deep work and you know we, we're carrying we're continuing and they're having conversations together and they are uh, having bystander training and they are um, gonna then mentor our under 18s boys in it. Cause we realize that's where, you know, that age group is where a lot of the problem really is at schools, you know, at that level. So, um, so yeah, we all, I, I'm so, I, I can't tell you how dripping with pride I am really of, of our men's team and the way they've stepped up to take responsibility and be accountable for the, uh, 
you know for the culture that we live in and that their part in in the sexism of it all so yeah we <laughs> we uh, we believe in male allies we have male allies and you know they men have the power and they need to use it to bring women up and when they bring women up because we say equality is a rising tide that lifts all our boats when they bring women up men and women will be freer to really be themselves and express themselves the way that they they need to in order to be healthy and i i can get very deep on this so i'll shut up in a minute but you know male suicide rates are high and we need yeah. to stop those stereotypes that say you've yeah. got to be tough you can't speak about your feelings you know we've got to allow men to be vulnerable just like we've got to allow women to be strong and ambitious and aggressive when they want to be on the pitch you know so yeah i think male allyship is absolutely the other half of female empowerment yeah i completely agree oh karen karen uh, honestly i could chat all evening i have one final question for you um how can we follow you how can we follow lewis football club how can we hear more about your up to and most importantly how can we um support the club and become owners and push the tide even further up oh what a great question it's that music to my ears Natalie. well basically you know we are a football club and we rely on income so whether it's match day revenues whether it's sponsorships whether it's high net worth philanthropists that might feel like donating to us um we welcome it all but the the main thing that we really really want to do is increase our revenue stream through ownerships and the reason for that is because a it's independent that money and we don't have to do anything for it apart from carry on being absolutely brilliant right um tick done tick and then the second thing is because it would be so cool to be the most owned club in the UK and then the most owned club in the world. So we have a long way to go because we're on, two, I think, 2,200-ish owners at the moment in 37 countries around the world. Um, we recently got Fiji. Someone in Fiji owns us. Wow. I know. So it's so cool. We, we're kind of, we call ourselves global. Like, we're local, but we're global. Yeah. <sighs> Love it. And... Um, <laughs> And we want, so we want to be the most owned club first in the UK. So we need to go up to about 4,000, 4,500 to do that. Then we want to overtake Barcelona, right? And get over 150,000. And can you imagine uh, how big we'd be then? Like how much revenue we'd have, how much resource we'd be able to put into our amazing footballers, see them get up the leagues and see them create bigger platforms for these messages that we have to get out about, whether it's about equality, whether it's about anti-gamblification, whether it's about, you know, how to be community owned. Yeah, all these, all these things are, um, you know, very, very close to our hearts. And I, I feel like most of our owners' hearts as well, Natalie. And um, yeah, we're very dedicated and we just want to, we just want to take over the world, really. Well, you've got my vote. I'm in. When do we start? Ah, <laughs> oh, Karen, thank you so much. It's been so lovely talking to you. Great pleasure. Great pleasure. We're, we're, we're women after our own hearts, each other, aren't we, really? <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I promise I will get down to Lewis. I'll get to the dripping pan. My, my plan was to go probably at the back end of 2019. And then obviously COVID happened and I haven't made it yet. But I will. I'll make it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll buy you some loaded fries. You're going to love them. Well, why didn't we say this before? <laughs> now I'm in. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Karen.
You have been listening to Sea Sporty B Sporty from Totally Runnable Limited and Sea Sporty B Sporty CIC. For more from the team, find us at Totally Runnable on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you are loving our latest episode of the Sea Sporty B Sporty podcast, please, please leave us a review wherever you listen. Reviews are super important to small, self-produced, independent podcasts like Sea Sporty B Sporty, and yours will absolutely help other people hear it too. Thank you so much, and have a fab day. Thank you.